can go with this, and we will throughout uh, the year. And the Bible has a lot to say about agriculture and how it relates to the Christian. And so we're, uh, we're, we're taking a journey this year looking at that. And the, the goal is not only to get you to be more established in, in a walk with the Lord, but also for God to begin, or for you to begin to see evidence of fruit, spiritual fruit, Christian fruit in your life. And so uh, uh, we're, we're going to be taking this step by step and sort of looking at the process of how a tree grows, uh, a plant grows, and relating that uh, to the Christian. And we don't have to work real hard to make that happen because the Scripture does a lot of that for us. Hey, real quick before we get started, one other visitor, we didn't uh, notice this morning, but this visitor is the youngest in the room and definitely making the most people happy. Carla uh, Segru is hold, was holding her grandbaby a few minutes ago. And so uh, there he is. Yeah, there he is, young man. And so uh, when he came in, I said, yep, uh, that's one happy grandma. So uh, glad to have you here today. Uh, glad to have the two of you here today. Very good. Luke 8, let's stand for the reading of God's word. And we're going to read from verse 4 down through verse number 15. And I will be reading the even-numbered verses by myself. Please read enthusiastically with me the odd-numbered verses down through verse number 15. I'll begin in verse 4, we'll begin together in verse 5. The Bible says, And when much people were gathered together and were come to him, speaking of Jesus, out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And others fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit in hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are those that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rocks are they, which when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they, which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience." We're looking at the series here, The Soil of the Heart, uh, or Preparing the Soil. And today we're going to look at this second type of heart condition or soil, the petrified soil. The petrified soil. So let's jump in tonight, this morning, we'll have a word of prayer. Lord, would you help us as we look at your word to understand it? Lord, for those here that um, the sermon will relate to, which I believe will be many, many folks... Lord, would you help them to um, see their need to identify some changes that need to be made? And then, Lord, make those changes so that they can abide in you for the long term. 
And not just be someone, Lord, who's in church for a short time and then gone or have a relationship with you as though it's just a ship passing in the night. But, Lord, would uh, develop that and grow that and be that for the long run of the rest of their life and for all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I must say, I've had the privilege of attending church my entire life. Uh, Through the years, I've been able to observe many people who, um, who I've looked up to and respected. I've been able to observe people from those that sat next to me on the pew all the way up to pastors and churches. And I have watched them come and go when it comes to church. Uh, my parents, who by their own admission are far from perfect, uh, did a great job of remaining devoted to the Christian faith throughout the good times and the bad. Let me tell you, we faced the good times and the bad. And those of you that know my story would think, well, you were raised in church your whole life, probably you were Christian and your parents are Christian and your grandparents are Christian and your great-grandparents are Christian, so of course... You grew up in church. Well, my dad wasn't raised a Christian. My dad didn't even know anything about church or God or any of that stuff until he was 14 or 15 years old when by himself walking across a health spa parking lot, a man stopped him and opened up a Bible and showed him how he could know he was going to heaven one day. And my dad bowed his head there in that parking lot and trusted Christ as his Savior. And my dad decided, hey, listen, I don't want to do anything part of the way. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it all the way. And so then he went and got a job and uh, began to save some money and put himself into a private Christian school so that he could be around folks who were going to teach him the Bible and give him a Christian uh, uh, education. When he was 18, he headed off uh, to Bible college. And uh, while at Bible college there, he um, uh, met my mom who was raised in a Christian home and they got married. And my dad just decided, I'm going to give my whole life uh, uh, to God. And God, I will do whatever it is that you want me to do. And so, no, my dad wasn't just raised in some Christian home and it was just a natural step. It was a, it was a definitive choice he made to raise me and uh, all of my brothers and sisters uh, in church. Now, in the good times and the bad, things just never wavered. Uh, we never had to wonder whether or not dad was going to have us pray before a meal. That was an automatic. We sit down to eat. We pray before we eat. And uh, if we uh, sat down to eat by ourselves and we weren't praying before we ate, we got thumped in the ear and told, you need to pray. Right? Spit your food out and pray, boy. No, not quite like that, but but pray, right? And uh, we never had to question whether or not we were going to pray before a meal. We never had to question whether or not we were going to read the Bible together uh, as a family. We never had to question whether or not we were going to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Those were automatic givens. Uh, if, if the church doors were open uh, and there was a general assembly of the church, it wasn't what else is on the schedule and what's more important. Church trumped everything. We just went. We were there. Now, why is it that so many people that make church part of their life rarely stick it out for a lifetime? Why is that? I don't mean to beat a, a dead horse. We've talked about this some over the, uh, since the beginning of the year. But again, I, we're really going to dive into this deep today, so I need to emphasize it right here. How many people in the 38, uh, 38 or 39 year history of this church have come have gotten excited about God in church 
and have left to never go back to church. It isn't that they leave here and go to another church. They just don't go at all. They just drop off. How many people have done that? And I made the statement a few weeks ago that if you took all the people who still live in the area that came to church here and got excited for the Lord for a few weeks or a few months or a few years, and you gather them all together and put them back in our church, we would need Webster Bank Arena to have church. We've had a ton of people flow through this church and uh, they come, they get excited for a short time and they're gone. And, and, and statistically speaking, 12 months from now, some of you that have been coming faithfully over the last weeks or months, even some of you that have been here for many years, statistically speaking, you won't be here in 12 months. You say, well, uh, that may be because someone, somebody moves. Yes, that happens. It's not what I'm referring to. You say, well, that may be because, uh, uh, Pastor, uh, uh, I just got described with the church and I found another church and while that uh, uh, fortunately that doesn't happen very often but while that does happen from time to time that's not either what I'm talking about I'm talking about people who are here today and a year from now they'll be sitting at home doing nothing or out shopping at this time a year from now where church was important and now it no longer is now why does that happen Um, uh, Jesus let me just remind everyone Jesus had many different people follow him During his three and a half year ministry. Please hear me here. You remember in Luke, he sent out 70 disciples. Two by two. You may remember in in John that he gave a hard sermon. And the great majority of his disciples turned and left. And the original 12 that he had chosen stuck by his side. And he turned to them and said, are you going to leave me too? And then one of those fell off. We know about Judas, right? Left with 11. Left with 11. Many, many disciples followed Jesus in his three and a half year ministry. I saw a, uh, a parody to Jesus having a Twitter account one time. And it was done in a very tasteful way, but it showed him going from zero followers into the hundreds of thousands of followers at the peak of his ministry, all the way back down to just 12 followers. And that's kind of the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. He had many come and many go. Why is that? Why is it that some people treat God and church as though it's nothing more than an emotional crutch to get them through the difficult times? Now, some of you think, Pastor, you're picking on me this morning. I promise I'm not trying to pick on anybody today. Okay? What I'm trying to encourage you is go from it being an emotional crutch to making it a permanent part of your life. There is a criticism that that secular... Folks have, they throw out at church people. And here's what it is. Jesus, to most Christians, is nothing more than just a crutch to get them by during a difficult time. How many of you have ever heard of that, that thrown out? Okay? Can I tell you that that isn't totally false? That isn't totally false? Now, I wish it was, but for a lot of folks, that's true. Um, there are some folks, I'm looking around this morning, I don't see anyone uh, that's this way, uh, but there are some folks, they only show up to church here when life gets really tough on them. And they'll show up for a few weeks, they get through their problem, okay God, thank you, I'm good. And they walk away from church, and then you don't see them for sometimes six months, sometimes nine months, sometimes 15 months, sometimes two years, and the life gets really hard on them and they come back again. You know what that is? God, I only need you to help me out of a tough time. 
I can say this and, and mean it thoroughly with all my heart. Religion or church or God or however, whatever uh, terminology you want to use for this guy behind the pulpit, it is so much more than just a crutch. It is my legs. If you took the Bible and God and church away from me, you would take my identity away from me. And you say, well, that's because you're the pastor. Um, it was that way well before I ever chose to become a pastor. And that isn't just supposed to be for the pastor. That's supposed to be for everybody. What is wrong with the way America has done church for hundreds of years is that America has not really done a relationship with Christ. They've just done a religion. We don't need religion. What God wants you to have is a relationship. You shouldn't show up to church, whether it's once a week, twice a week, three times a week. Some of you come to our Friday evening addiction deliverance ministry four times a week. You shouldn't show up at church ever so that you can earn brownie points with God. That's not how this works. You don't show up to punch in and punch out and please God and do some sort of good work. That's religion. My hope and my my vision and my dream for you as a person, whether I know you by name or not, whether I'm your friend uh, and I've taken time to develop a friendship with you or not, my goal and vision for each and every one of you and really everyone that lives in this area is that you will develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that you go to church not because you have to, but you go to church and you read your Bible and you talk with the Lord because you feel so loved by Him that that love drives you to want to do it. And then that becomes such a habit over a long term in your life that you don't know how to live any other way. We have a businessman in our church, and I talk to him uh, quite regularly. And oftentimes when I'm speaking with him on the phone or in person, he tells me about a problem that he had encountered in his business. And he didn't know what to do or where to go or how to get around it. And he tells me regularly, he says, Pastor, I bowed my head and I prayed and I said, Lord, I don't know how to handle this person's attitude or I don't know how to handle this difficult situation, or I don't know how to handle strife between some employees. And, Pastor, I bowed my head and I prayed, and after a few moments of prayer, God gave me clarity and direction on where to go and what to do. You know, that's not just something you walk into uh, after being saved for five minutes. That's something that is developed and cultivated. Those are roots that go down deep in Christ that have to grow. Now, what separated the 12 or rather the 11 disciples that stayed from those that left? Why are these 12 disciples, then 11 disciples mentioned directly by naming God's word? Why did God, uh, why did Jesus hand choose them for his training? Uh, these were the ones that had the right heart attitude. They had cultivated their hearts to a place where they could produce fruit for the Lord. As we study Luke chapter 8, we find that Jesus describes four different types of people. Four different types of people. And He uses the soil of a farmland to describe their heart's condition. Now, let me just recap quickly for those that weren't here two weeks ago when we went over this. I'll be really quick. But Luke 8 says that the seed is the word of God. 
What is the word of God? The word of God is this right here. It is the Bible. All right. So a farmer goes out and he's going to sow seeds on his farmland. He has a satchel of seed and that seed is paralleled to the Bible. All right. And the, the farmer reaches down in that pouch. He gets a handful of seed and he slings it out on his farmland. So if the seed is the word of God, the farmer would be the person who delivers the word of God. That would be the pastor of a church. That would be a teacher of a Sunday school class. Hey, listen, if you take some of our gospel tracts in the lobby back here that have Bible verses on them that tell people how to go to heaven, and you hand those out, then you're the farmer that's distributing the seed. Uh, that's not just a calling for me. That's a calling for all of us that have put our faith in Jesus. We're all commanded to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And you've heard this analogy used probably before, but if I found the cure to cancer and I didn't tell anybody, how terrible of a person would I be? You have found, if you've found Jesus and salvation in Christ, you have found the cure for the cancer of, of the soul. You have found the cure that takes away eternal damnation in hell. It provides eternal life that's available and free to everyone. And if you have that and you don't share that with your family and your neighbors and your friends and those around you, my friend, you are just as awful as the person that found the cure to cancer and didn't share it. So we're all supposed to be that farmer that takes that seed and and slings it out. So, the seed is the Word of God. What is the seed? Speak to me. Very good. The farmer is the preacher. Who is the farmer? Very good. And the soil that the seed lands on, that is the condition of the heart. That is the condition of the heart. Now, uh, this, this story is not just about somebody putting their faith and trust in Jesus to save them. This parable is not just about that. This is, this is applicable to everybody here, whether you've put your faith and trust in Jesus or not. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at that first type of soil. Put that uh, next slide up there for me. We looked at the first type of soil. Go ahead and put the next one up. Four types of uh, heart soils. We looked at the path soil. We talked about at a, a farmland. Picture this in your mind's eye. You have a farmland and you've got a road that runs along the farmland, a dirt road, and that, that, that soil has been packed down. It's been walked on. In today's day and age, it would have been driven on. That is hardened soil mashed down. The path Soil. We talked about how that sin comes along and compacts the soil of the heart so that when the seed of God's word lands on the heart, someone does not put their faith and trust in Jesus because their heart soil has been hardened by sin. And I would encourage you, I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, I would encourage you to go back and look at that one. Throw a, a go ahead and skip ahead where all four of them are up there for me. All four up there. The path soil, we're going to look today at the petrified soil, and then we'll look at next week the thorny or prickly soil, and then uh, in, uh, in a few weeks ahead we'll look at the productive soil. So those are the four types of soil we find here. Today, we're going to focus on that second heart condition. Some of you here today, uh, you've never really developed any serious relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe that may be because of what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to look at the petrified soil. One other thing I want to address quickly, and this is to the Pharisees in the room. All right? Some of you sat up and said, he's talking to me. <laughs> My dad used to call me a mean name, and then and he called me that enough, I'd turn around and say, what? And he'd say, you know your name. And I said, Pharisees, and some of you sat up. Yeah, you, okay? 
you know your name. Um, the petrified soil. Now, uh, uh, t- speaking of that, it is not my place. Please hear me. It is not my place to look at another person and try to determine whether they're saved or lost. It's not my place. There are four types of soil in this passage. Only one of them ever produced fruit. Three of the four people groups got saved. From the petrified soil to the productive soil. There was a short time of evidence of salvation in the petrified and prickly soil, and then it disappeared. The seed was still in the soil, meaning they had gotten saved. But there was no evidence of it. You cannot look at someone's life and not see productive fruit as a Christian and go, well, I don't think they're saved. Now, if they're a loved one of yours or a friend of yours and you really are concerned about them, that's different. And you can pray and say, Lord, I'm not seeing any evidence that they're a child of yours. I I don't know that they are. They say they have, but I just don't know. Lord, if they're not, would you work in their heart? That type of prayer is fine. But for someone to get on their high horse and say, well, I don't see any fruit in their life. They're probably not saved. I'd say to you, I'd say, don't you be so judgmental. Don't you be so judgmental. I've heard other people say, well, when I got saved, I gave up alcohol right away. And so, if God took it from me, He should take it away from everybody else. And they're still drinking, so they're not saved. I've heard people say this. I'd say, well, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever told a lie since you've been saved? God didn't take that away from you, did He? I believe my microphone... Well, it's still on here. Can you turn me up a little bit, Jared? Something happened on my end. All right. And I'd say, God doesn't take away all your sin. But He does put in you a desire to begin to do what's right. It's on you to choose to do that. So this morning, we're going to look at the petrified soil, the, the, the rocky soil. So again, I, I want to make sure I paint the picture really clear. You've got the path soil, right? Then the next set of soil is some ground that's not yet been cultivated. Please hear me out. You still have rocks and debris in the soil, and you have, there we go, you have a short amount of soil that's sitting on top of this rock, and the seeds land in that. Next to that, you have soil that have thistles and thorns mixed in, and then next to that, you have a field that's ready to receive the seed, where the rocks and the thorns and thistles have been removed, so that tree can grow up and be productive. We're going to look at that second type of soil today. Let's see three observations. Now, if you got a bulletin, on the back, there is a place to fill in the outline as, as we go. I would encourage you to do that. If you take more copious notes and you have a notebook, go right ahead. Number one, notice a joyous salvation. A joyous salvation. Look with me in Luke chapter 8, verse number 12. Luke 8, verse number 12. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh uh, away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these, they, uh, these have no root, which for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Notice that phrase in 13. When they hear, receive the word with joy. Receive the word with joy. 
in verse 12, we see those represented by the wayside. They reject the word. Uh, and, and those represented by the rocky soil in verse 13, they receive the word with joy. Verse 12, the person that is getting uh, the, the seed or, or the word of God, they remain lost. In verse 13, that lost soul becomes saved by receiving the word. Well, let me explain what I mean by lost and saved this way. It is a joyous occasion to be saved. The soil of the heart is a soil, the soil of this heart, the rocky soil, is a soil that on the surface has been broken up and is loose and is ready to receive the good news of salvation. During my time in college, I um, uh, worked a uh, bus route in South Chicago. And uh, one of the most dangerous parts of Chicago, and it's even gotten more dangerous since I left, My visiting partner, we'd go out every week and we'd find folks and invite them. We had a little church building there in South Chicago that we had uh, had been condemned and we cleaned it up and and repaired it and got it to a place where it could be used. And we'd bring anywhere from 50 to 150 folks in and have church on Sunday afternoons. And uh, my my friend uh, and I, we found a young lady named Ina. Ina was 14 years old and she had just given birth uh, to a baby at 14 when we met her or was pregnant when we met her but gave birth and uh, she had missed some church because of the delivery and so uh, uh, my friend and I we went to her house and uh, uh, she was obviously still living with her mom and we went in and we sat down in her living room and we were just trying to encourage her and let her know we missed her at church and we hoped she could come back and while we were sitting there chatting with her uh, her sister came walking through the living room and her sister just looked like she was just everything rebellious, right? I, I try not to judge a book by its cover and uh, not be assumptive, but boy, she came through and I think her hair was blue and she had a nose ring that was like 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 bigger than her nose type style and, and a neck tattoo. And again, I'm not trying to judge her by that, uh, but, but she came through and I just said, oh, okay. And I said, who's that? And she went into the kitchen, walked through the living room, went into the kitchen and the door closed behind her. And, uh, and Ina, and again, I'm not trying to be judgmental with this. I'm just sharing the story how it happened, okay? Ina leaned forward on the couch and whispered my direction. She said, that's my sister. I said, okay, why are you whispering? She said, shh. I said, okay. She said, can you please pray for her? And these were her words. She's a lesbian. And because I'm such a judgmental Christian, I said, <laughs> We need to leave right now. That's not what I did, okay? I said, okay. Do you know that Jesus loves everybody? No, I'm not going to endorse a lifestyle today that the Bible clearly speaks against. But I'm also not going to try to be God and condemn somebody either. Not when the grace of God is available for them too. A few minutes later, her sister came in and sat down on the couch. We began to talk to this young lady. I don't remember her name. We began to talk to her. And I opened up my Bible and I began to tell her about how that Jesus Christ had come to earth. Jesus had died on the cross for this young lady so that he could save her. How that Jesus loved her soul. And the more I talked to her, the more she began to open up and be tender to this. And I got down to the end I explained to her, I said, listen, you're a sinner. And she said, oh, I'm a sinner. You don't know the things I've done in my life. And I said, it doesn't matter. You're a sinner. And Jesus loves you. And he came to earth and he died on the cross for you. And if you're willing to put your faith in him and call on him, 
He'd save you. And then I asked her a question. I asked many, many people that I give the same gospel to. I said, I called her name. I said, if Jesus will accept you exactly the way you are as a sinner, and he knows everything you've done, and he's still willing to accept you. I said, if Jesus will accept you exactly the way you are as a sinner and redeem your sins, will you open up your heart and put your faith in him and receive him as your savior? And she began to choke up and tears began to run down her face. And she said, I would love to do that. And my, my friend and I, we got down on our knees at the couch in that living room. And Ina and her sister, they got down on their knees. And, and Ina's sister prayed and asked Jesus to save her. We got up off her knees and tears were running down her cheeks. And she said, I, I don't know why Jesus would love me so much. But if He's willing to die for me and save me from my sins, I sure am glad that God loves me. I sure am glad that He would save me in spite of how bad I've been. Can I say this morning that her salvation was truly a joyous occurrence? Hey, how many here this morning remember the day you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you look back on that as a joyous occasion? Would you say amen? Amen. A joyous salvation. Number two, a shallow soil. A shallow soil. Why is it that some folks, uh, I call them Alka-Seltzer Christians. Big splash! Big fizz, and then they're gone. Alka-Seltzer Christians. Why is it some people are that way? Why is it that that could happen to you? Well, we're going to look at that right here. A shallow soil. Look at me, verse number 6. And some fell upon a rock. A rock. And as soon as it was sprung up... It withered away because it lacked moisture. Now, in verse 13, Jesus gives us the explanation of the parable. It says there, they on the rock are they, which when they hear, receive the word with joy. Look here. And these have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. When, we, when I was 13 years old, my family moved from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, which is right off the Gulf Coast there. We moved to northern Alabama, and we got there, and I said, you guys are Yankees. Like, we ain't Yankees. But it was north from where we were, and so it felt that way. But while I was there, I was a young man, 13 years old, and uh, I had a basketball coach at the school I went to. His name was Coach John, uh, John Waddle. We called him Coach John. He was also a deacon in the church there, and just a good, solid man who loved God. And uh, John uh, ran a fruit farm. And so I, I was wanting to get a job. I didn't need a job. I was 13, but I was wanting to get a job and start saving some money. And so John said, hey, why don't you come on and work for me? And so uh, in the summer, spring and summertime, I would work that fruit farm and go out there in that Alabama heat. And uh, one of the jobs he had us do, please, this is a very important part of the message. Please don't miss it. Is he would get on his industrial tractor and he would hook up the tiller to the tractor and he would go over a field field that had never been uh, plowed or hadn't been plowed in a long time and he would have me and several other helping hands, we would go by and we would pick up big huge rocks and we would get them out of the field and other trash that had collected there and, and sticks and debris, we'd pick that up and we would get it out of the field. You see, if we didn't get the rocks and the sticks and the debris out of the field, that fruit uh, th- those those fruit seeds had no chance of ever putting down root and becoming uh, solid, productive, money-making fruit trees or plants. Once the dirt had been re- uh, loosed and the debris had been removed, the soil was then ready to become productive. Here's the application. Growing in Christ 
and becoming a productive Christian is not automatic. It is a deliberate choice. Now, some of you here today, you come in and you've made a lot of bad, poor decisions before you put your faith in Christ. Others of you came in and other people, please don't miss this, other people made really bad decisions that hurt you and put you in a place where you're carrying a lot of emotional baggage and pain. Whatever the reason, the soil of your heart is very shallow. And you received the seeds of salvation and you got saved. But unless you get down and do some hard work to remove some baggage and some pain and some, and some sin and some habits that are there that are limiting you from really becoming productive from the Lord, frankly, you got no shot. You've got no shot. The rocks must be removed before fruit can be enjoyed. How many of you remember the Israelites in the book of Exodus? Wandering around in the desert. What a weird story, right? Forty years wandering around and they all died. Why? Why? The trip from Egypt to Kadesh Barnea, where they could have crossed over, is the same distance as it is just about from Detroit to Chicago. Now, I don't want to walk from Detroit to Chicago. All right? But... You know, what would it take you? Two or three months, maybe? Maybe a month? I don't know how long it would take. I don't walk places. How long would it take a million people to walk that far? That's a lot more, right? Uh, you ever gone on a trip with a group? You notice how slow they walk? It's like, come on, people, hurry up! Now, add a million people to that. It'd take a while. Well, it took them two years to get from Egypt to Kadesh Barnea. And when they got there, they weren't ready. Now, I've done this before, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but but to set up the point I'm trying to make in the sermon, I need to do it real quick, okay? Egypt left, uh, uh, when the Israelites left Egypt, they went through the Red Sea. Now, there's a reason why it's called the Red Sea, uh, because it's a picture of the blood of Jesus, all right? We leave, we leave sin, we put our faith in Jesus, the blood of Jesus washes away our sin when we call on His name, we become Born again. Egypt, generally in the Bible, is a picture of sin and a picture of, of, of being lost without Christ. And they went through the Red Sea, they were saved. Now, when they entered the desert, they were saved, but the desert represents carnal Christian living. Now, let me explain that word carnal. The word carnal comes from the root word carne. In Spanish, you've heard of, uh, let's see, uh, uh, chile con carne, chile con carne, right? That's chili with meat. Chili with flesh, right? How was my accent? Did I, did I do okay with that? All right, I got it. Okay. Gringo, gringo. Yeah, chili con carne, right? And so, uh, carne, right? It, Jesus was incarnated, right? He was robed or wrapped in flesh. So, the carnal Christian life is when we're saved, but we're living through the strength of our own flesh. We're learning how to get de- put down the desires of the flesh and put on and take on the desires of the Spirit. You, they walked through the desert. They came up to the point of entrance into their promised land, uh, uh, modern-day Israel and expanded. And they got there, and they weren't ready. Now, crossing over into that promised land is not a picture of going to heaven in the Bible. It's a picture of living the victorious Christian life. 
Now, why didn't that crowd make it? But the next generation did because their hearts weren't ready. Numbers 13, 31 says this. These were the, the, the ten of the twelve men that represented the Israelites. They said this. They said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. These twelve men represented the spiritual state of Israel. The soil of their heart was still full of sticks and stones and debris uh, that had been left over from their lives in Egypt, their sinful living. They had not gone, uh, grown to the place where they were ready to conquer. Of course they were not able. But God was able to do it with them and through them. But they couldn't see it. They could not see that. What had to happen? Well, God had to say, okay, then you are condemned to wander around in this desert for 38 more grueling years while the next generation, they cultivate their heart. They remove the sticks and stones and rocks out of their heart so that they can do something great uh, for me. And can I tell you something? They got there. How, how much better were they than the, their, their parents? Listen, let me tell you this, okay? They walked across the Jordan River. Joshua is now their leader. And Joshua gets the, the generals together and he says, okay, boys, here's the game plan. God gave it to me. Ready for this? We're going to march around the city once for seven, uh, six days. And then on the seventh day, we're going to march around it seven times. And then, here it is. You ready? This is the big plan. You ready? Here we go. We're going to blow our trumpets. We're going to shout. And God is going to knock the wall down. And you know what they said? All right, let's do it. Now, if uh, <laughs> um, Mark over here, he was in the military, so a lot of you others were. If your general told you that about taking out a city, you'd say, somebody needs to get this guy into the psych ward, right? This guy's lost his mind. But they trusted and they believed. They believed. They were ready. Some of you here today, you're never going to grow in Christ. In fact, you're going to be an Alka-Seltzer Christian and fizzle away because you're not willing to deal with the sticks and stones and rocks in your heart the way the Israelites wouldn't deal with it. The debris, the, 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 uh, the scorched plant, or rather the shallow soil. Let's jump in number three and notice a plant that's scorched. A plant that's scorched. Look back with me at Luke chapter 8, verse number 6. Luke chapter 8, verse number 6 says, And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, look here, it withered away. Why? Because it lacked moisture. The last two words of verse 13 say this, Fall away. And in time of temptation, fall away. The explanation. Here in Luke 8, Jesus gives two reasons as to why the visible visible evidences of the Christian, their Christian life disappeared to the human eye. Notice letter A. They are a parched ground. A parched ground. Look at Luke chapter 8 verse 6 with me again. And notice the end phrase there says, because it lacked moisture. Because it lacked moisture. Now, there are a few ingredients necessary to grow plants. Right? You need sunlight. And you need water. Right? If it doesn't rain... Most plants can't make it, minus the desert, where it's, it's a little different. But you need rain. You need water. And uh, without that moisture, it can't work. In fact, if I understand this right, and I'm not a botanist, but if I understand this right, the plant, the root system, is able to take sunlight and moisture and stick those two things together and create this sugar-type uh, substance that sends it up the root system into the tree and, and causes it to grow. It is the bonding together of sunlight and water. If the water isn't there, the tree's got no shot. 
I know my grammar isn't perfect, but I hope you get the point here. Tree has no shot. You need moisture as a Christian to make it. Now, in the Bible, what does that idea of water, what is the parallel? Let me read for you Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. The Bible says, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. Now, upon salvation, a Christian is given God in the form of the Holy Spirit to live inside of him. If the Christian allows the Holy Spirit to do his job, he will, the Holy Spirit will water the soil of the heart. This is clearly, clearly the Holy Spirit's job. However, Christians can quench the working of the Holy Spirit and even grieve him. Uh, when I worked on that farm, we had, we had strawberry plants that we grow. How many of you have ever gone to one of these you-pick farms and picked strawberries? How many of you ever done that? You see how they've got the rows, right? And that, that, that soil is mounted up. Well, what you may not see is that below the soil, there is a plastic tube of a hose that runs from a water source up to the front of that mound and through the mound so that if it doesn't rain for a long time, water is continually fed into those plants so that they can grow and thrive and produce strawberries. And there would be times where a dirt clog would get in that hose and and clog it up and prevent the water from flowing or the hose would get kinked below the soil somehow and, and the water would stop flowing. And my friend Christian, if you're not careful, you'll be just like that where the Holy Spirit's trying to water the soil of your heart, but you're not giving Him the time and attention He deserves. And that hose, the Holy Spirit, the water of the Holy Spirit gets clogged or kinked and He's not flowing. That's why, uh, let's see, First uh, uh, Thessalonians 5.19 says, quench not the Spirit. Hey, don't stop the Spirit. And Ephesians 4.30 says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed under the day of redemption. Now you say, well, how does that happen? Well, when a Christian doesn't confess their sin, lives with habitual sin in their life and doesn't want to deal with it, and the Holy Spirit's not watering the soil of your heart, you've got no chance. You, um, you refuse to read your Bible and pray on a daily basis and walk with the Lord, the Holy Spirit's not watering the soil of your heart. Your church attendance is, is, is hit or miss at best, and you're, you're not faithful to be around the house of God, as we talked about last Sunday morning, with edifying each other and the Lord at church. My friend, the Holy Spirit cannot do His job. What happens is that ground dries out, and the evidences of the Christian life begin to fall away. A parched ground, let her be noticed, a poor root system, a poor root system. Look back with me at Luke 8, verse 13. They on the rock, they on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root. These have no root. Remember our Israeli friends we talked about a few minutes ago who wandered around in the wilderness? The first generation never seemed to truly get a grip on trusting God. You know why? Because at best, their root system was feeble. They were forced to wander around in carnality for the rest of their life. Because they would not, would not lay down and trust God. Let me just say this here, because this may be a breakthrough moment for someone in the auditorium. Someone um, here, tell me, how are we saved? We're saved by... Saved by grace through faith. His grace mixed with our faith. Right? His grace was provided on the cross. 
And we put our faith in that grace, interlock into that grace, and the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, we're saved. Now, we're saved by faith. Don't miss this. We grow by faith. If you're not willing to continue this faith process in your Christian life, you're going to wander around in the desert. You know what happened to the Israelites? They walked up to the Jordan River. They were told, let's cross in and let's go over and conquer the, the, the people that are there and take this land that rightfully belongs to us back to ourselves. And they sent spies in. And the spies came back and said, oh, we can't do it. They're bigger than us. And then they exaggerated. Nobody here has a problem exaggerating, do they? I told my son yesterday, I said, I said I've told you a million times to stop exaggerating. If you're blonde, you'll get that in a couple of hours, all right? For the rest of you, um, a million times, stop exaggerating. You know what they did? Those that, they came back. This isn't, this isn't sacrilegious, okay? I'm just going to, everybody, it's going to be okay. All right. They came back and they, they stood up where all the people could see them and they said, Hey, we be not able to take that land. They said, the people over there are so big, they make us look like little tiny grasshoppers. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, isn't it? And then Joshua and Caleb said, hey, we're not able, but he is. He is. You know what had to happen? They had to be willing to go over there so that God could use them to conquer. Now, that generation didn't do it. But you know what? The next generation, they were the same stature and height. They had the same military skills as their parents. And they walked up and they conquered the promised land and they took back the land that rightfully belonged to them. Why? Not because they were able, but because they were willing and He was able. And my friend, you're never going to remove the rocks from the soil of your heart. And you're never going to grow unless you're willing to put in the work to read your Bible and pray and walk with God. And until you're willing to say, God, there are areas where I can't, but I believe that you can. You've got to be willing to say, Lord, I am going to do whatever it takes to put down a strong root system. Turn in your Bibles over to Psalm chapter 1 with me, if you will. Psalm 1 and verse number 3. We're done in, in Luke 8. You can leave that one alone. And turn over to Psalm number 1. Look with me at the third verse of Psalm 1. And this, is, this really ought to be the goal for every Christian. In fact, I would challenge you here today, if you have not memorized the first Psalm, to do that before the end of the year. This really is the psalm that sums up the end game for a Christian. And we'll study in depth later on in the year, but let's look at this really quick. Look at verse number 3. And this is speaking of a Christian who is mature in the Lord. And it says there, I'll begin reading, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. There's that water we talked about that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Notice that phrase, in his season. You know why a lot of people get discouraged? Because they want to come to church for five minutes and have the same results as someone who's been coming to church for 30 years. Doesn't work that way, my friend. Doesn't work that way. Now, let me ask a question here, all right? This is a question I want you to answer in your head. What must take place before the fruit can be produced? 
before the fruit can be plucked off the tree. There's a lot of things that have to take place. But primarily, the upward growth of the tree must take place. If there is an upward growth of a tree, you can't pluck fruit. What must take place before the upward growth? The downward growth of the root system. If there is no root system, there is no tree or plant. And if there is no tree or plant, there is no fruit. It starts with the root system. And to bring it full circle, you can't have a root system if you're not willing to do the hard work of tilling the field of your heart and removing the stones and sticks and debris that are preventing the roots from going down. But what is it for you? Can I make it personal? What is it for you that's keeping the root system from being developed? Keeping you from really believing in Christ? I could sit here right now and I could list off 25 or 30 sins, and there's a good chance I'd miss yours. I'm not going to do that. Because if you're saved this morning, the Holy Spirit has already told you what it is. You know what it is. The question is, are you going to deal with it? Or are you going to be an Alka-Seltzer Christian? Christian, you cannot faithfully produce public fruit in your life until you first privately develop a strong root system. Let me word it this way for you. Your level of supplication... In private, will determine your level of success in public. You know what Paul did before his public ministry? He spent three years on the backside of the desert. You know that Moses spent 40 years on the backside of the desert before God called him to lead Israel out of Egypt. And even Jesus Christ himself spent 40 days and 40 nights on the backside of the desert communing with God and fasting and prayer before he began his public ministry. What were each of these people doing? They were developing a root system in private so that God could use them in public. Luke 8 describes three different types of Christians. The first address are those who fail to produce fruit because they fall to temptation. I hope that this morning you'll analyze your heart, uh, heart's condition and ask yourself this very tough question. Here's the question you should ask. Are there sins that God has given me the power to conquer that I have yet to remove from the soil of my heart? Here's another question to ask yourself. Has my lifestyle told the Holy Spirit to stop watering the soil of my heart. Remember, Christian, if your soil is dry, then your Christian life has no chance of being productive. Lastly, ask yourself this question. Have I worked at developing a strong root system in my study of the Word of God? The sermon today is aimed at Christians who have not seen any fruit. Maybe you're inconsistent in your walk with God. And church is nothing more than, religion rather, is nothing more than a a crutch to get you by. When is it going to become your identity? It's going to become that when you remove the debris and rock from your heart. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. How many here today say, Pastor, 
There was a day and time in my life I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save me. And I know that when I die, the seed is gone into the soil of my heart, Pastor. I am saved. I don't always live the way I ought to, talk the way I ought to, walk the way I ought to, act the way I ought to. But I know that Jesus has saved me. And I know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Pastor, here's my hand, a testimony of that. You've put your faith in Jesus Christ. Would you just raise your hand for me so I can see your hand? You put your hands down. Is there one here today that would maybe say, Pastor, I don't know that I've done that yet. I can't point to a time in my life where I've trusted in Jesus. If that's you and you're here today, listen, you, you don't have to leave without having this thing settled. Jesus died for you. Yes, he died for the world. Yes, he died for us, but he died for you so that you could have your sins washed away. So that your record be, could be made clean and you could be, you could have your case dismissed in the courtroom of God and you could be given access to heaven. It is a free gift. It is accessible to you. All that God expects is for you to extend your hand of faith and trust in Him to save you. I got married 11 years ago and on my wedding day I repeated some vowels after a preacher. Those vowels did not marry me. The love commitment behind the vowels married me. I needed to say the vows, but the vows were, were, were useless without love, a love commitment. And my friend, you can pray any prayer you want, but if there isn't a faith behind the prayer, a trust in Christ to save you behind the prayer, the prayer is useless. Likewise, you can have faith all day long, but until you're willing to call on the name of the Lord to save you, that faith is, is like love without a commitment at a wedding altar. You need to call on the name of the Lord to save you. And that's very simple. There's no set of words that you have to pray. You just call on Him and say, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve heaven. Will you come in my heart, take my sins away, and save me? For the man next to Jesus on the cross, it was simpler than that. He said, remember me when you enter to your kingdom. For the publican standing in the, uh, in the temple, his prayer was even simpler. He said, uh, uh, forgive me, a sinner. And that's all you got to do is know that Jesus died for you and wants to save you and call on His name. Is there one here today say, Pastor Lejeune, I don't know when I die I'm going to go to heaven. In the privacy of the moment, I don't want to call you out or embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? I don't know that if I die I'm going to go to heaven. Could I pray for you at least? How many here today say, Pastor, God put his finger on some things in my heart that is keeping me from really growing in Christ? Maybe, Pastor, my heart is somewhat that rocky soil. And I've got some things I've got to remove so that, 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 that I'll, my relationship with Jesus will be more rooted the way it ought to be. If that's you, you just slip up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. There's some things God made clear to me that need to go, that need to change. Lord, would you help us today to walk with you, to know you, to have a relationship with you. Lord, may our heart be, be made the soil that becomes productive, not a soil that's limited by simple habits. Lord, by other things that want to taint us or harm us. Lord, if there's one here today that has not yet put their faith and trust in you, would you help them to do that before it's eternally too late? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed.